Welcome, everybody. It's, uh, it's good to have everybody worshiping here with us this morning. Uh, just a couple of quick invitations for us today is that immediately following uh, worship today at 1155, we're hanging out in the upper lobby. We want to invite all of the uh, serving teams, if you volunteered anywhere here on Sunday, music, production, greeting, hospitality, kids scenes, all of those scenes. We want to do like a sightings and stories time for just like two to five minutes to kind of connect and, and to capture what God is up to here on the weekend experience. And we're going to start to do that later on. So I hope you'll join me a little bit later on. Uh, also, next week, November 1, we're doing a Fulton Heights visioning and information meeting to kind of see what some of the uh, volunteer opportunities are coming up that way. And also um, trying to meet some of the people who are going to make that their future church home. And we're very pumped about that. Today, we continue on the, uh, the, the series that we're calling Triggered. Uh, this is a series where we take a look at some of these um, really, really charged topics where oftentimes um, hurt and pain thrive in the shadows. And what we're doing is casting God's light on these things so that uh, so that's that's no longer. And uh, last week, so thanks for coming back. Last week was uh, sex, dating and intimacy. Today we're talking about heaven, hell and everything in between. Uh, before we start off, I don't want to start off by just talking about heaven, hell, and everything in between. I want to talk about this. Uh, this is a favorite uh, restaurant of mine, a favorite taco stand called Taquera San Jose. And uh, some of you are going to look at this thing and you're going, it looks like an empty gas station. And you're not wrong. It does look like that. Um, but here's the thing about how when you get really passionate about something, you tend to overlook some of those um, some of those maybe faults or some of those blemishes and it just adds to the charm and the character of the place some of you uh, know about this place because i told you about it because when i discovered it for myself and i'm like listen everybody you need to stop eating tacos wherever you were and to go to this place on division it's gonna seem like i'm uh, like i'm being paid by them for marketing or something like that i assure you I wouldn't do that, and they can't afford that kind of marketing campaign. Like, you've seen the building. I don't know much about that at all. But what I do know is their tacos are amazing, and you should go check it out. So why do I mention that? It's because Jesus said in Matthew that from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. When you get excited about something, you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but share that message with everybody else that you meet. And I do that with the taco stand. And so, like, listen, you've got to check it out. And I'll tell everybody about the good news, the gospel of the taco stand. Now, some of us, we get really excited. One of our camera operators, I was talking to him a little while ago, he's an archaeologist. He gets really excited about things that are found in dirt from a long time ago. I'm probably simplifying it. But you talk to him, you talk, and he just eyes come alive, and he gets so passionate. He gets so excited about it because it's like what fills his heart. Uh, others of you, you like to run in races, and so you can talk about the different causes you run for, or, or maybe about the different uh, the medals that you've won, or the different training programs, or the things, the trails that you're interested in trying out sometimes. Over, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I've heard people get excited about all kinds of randomness that we get excited and passionate about. And I'm not faulting any of that. Like I said, I'm part of that. Uh, tacos at that taco stand have a very real place in my heart. Like, like a very real place, mostly in my arteries. I'm full of them. My heart is full of those tacos. And then from, from that, my mouth speaks. Others of you, you know, you've gotten like instant pot recipes that you're just like, this is the thing, right? Hot yoga is the thing or the 
Ice baths are the thing. And you just get so excited about your air fryer, you can't help but like share that good news gospel with everybody that you meet. And so for us this morning, I kind of like want to ask this question, is if that's true, why is it that we don't get so excited to talk about Jesus? Like, why is it that we can talk about air fryers and hot yoga with literally anybody, but then when it comes to a conversation with our neighbors, your coworkers, people on jobs, like people that you might live with or go to school with, it's like my relationship with God, I just kind of like clam up and quiet down. I don't want to talk about that. Now, on the surface, it looks like, well, it's because, it's because Jesus doesn't occupy like this part of your heart. Like, he, he's not... He's not Filling your heart so fully that from that overflow, your mouth speaks. And I want to kind of push back on that this morning and say, I think there's something maybe else to it. I, d- I think that sometimes that's like the voice of the accuser in our ears, kind of like whispering in there, telling us lies, because I think there's something else going on. I think there's a fear, though. There's a fear. Jesus is in our heart, but there's this fear that when I start talking about Jesus, it's going to get hard. It's going to get complicated. There's going to be questions that arise that I don't know how to answer. And so I can talk about hot yoga, or or I can talk about tacos, because tacos are simple. Tacos aren't going to have any complicated questions afterwards. It's easy, and it's light, Jesus. Listen, there's some parts of talking about Jesus and convictions about following him that are just monumentally difficult. One of those I ran into like a week and a half ago. You know, again, I was talking to a young guy, and it just seemed like he was well on his way towards faith. It seemed like he was almost up to this line of crossing over from unbelief to belief, and so I asked him, and I named it, and I said, are you ready to, like, to, like, move over to this place of, like, officially, like, welcoming Jesus as Savior and Lord into your life? He goes, you know what? Almost, except for the fact I could never believe in a good God who would send people to hell. And it's those kind of questions, isn't it, that makes it very, very difficult for us to share the overflow of love of Jesus that we have in our heart. Because what if that's the response? How how do we share our good news story? And so what I'd like to do this morning is try to help answer that question and try to share a story that I think is far more compelling than the one maybe that you heard growing up. Or the one that maybe you just assumed is all there is all the while. In any conversation, as we dig into it, as we get into this conversation about hell, I want to put in two guardrails, uh, two banks of the river. Uh, one bank of the river is what 1 John chapter 4 tells us. John, one of the apostles of Jesus, later in life says, my conviction is that God is love. And whatever he does, anything that he does, God is always loving, and he does it out of love. The other guardrail, the other bank of the river is that if God is God, then he has the right to do whatever he pleases. Those are going to be our guardrails, our banks of the river, as we have this really difficult conversation about hell. I just want to ask you to kind of suspend some of what you, what you assume as we dig into a conversation about how Jesus talks about it. Okay, so kind of get us all on the same page here. Um, what many of you heard of as the story, or what the vast majority of people in the West believe, is that here's where I am, and I'm a stick figure, stick with me, 
because these are not going to be great illustrations, but hopefully you'll get the idea, um, is that here I am, and then I go through my life, and then there's a decision point at the end. Now, hopefully this is a long time, and hopefully this is decades from now, and just a long, long time, but we all hold the belief that the mortality rate is right around 100%, is that all of us are going to come to a place sometime in our life where our life ends. And at that point, a decision is going to be made on our behalf, whether we kind of lived above the line or below the line, whether we did the right things and believed the right things or whether we were below and we didn't do the right things and we didn't believe the right things, that a split is going to happen. And what we hope happens is that we move kind of like up and to the right into this like ethereal, kind of wonderful, sublime place. That's a cloud and harps, a place called heaven. And heaven is a good place, albeit a disembodied place at times, but it seems like a really, really good place, and you want to be there, especially when the alternative is you get to that place in your life, and you start to move downward to a place called, and that's a pitchfork, hell. And hell seems like this subterranean torture chamber where God has allowed you to do just awful things to people and torture people for for all on into eternity and that's kind of the picture that we have you live your life and hopefully you'll be found above the line doing the right things believing the right things until you get to the end and and god destines you towards heaven or he kind of moves towards hell that's the vast majority of belief in the west about what christians believe and some of you are looking at it and going that's kind of what i believe that's kind of where I am. Is that, is that not our, our story? It's just like on the outset, I want to share that, that I think that if that was the only part of it, then this story would be a lot shorter. Like the Bible would be about a paragraph and a half. Like just be found above the line. Do the right things and you go to heaven and that's it. But instead what we have is a very long story written over 1,500 years with over a dozen different authors in all kinds of three different continents, right? All kinds of places and times to give this massive story about what God is doing, not just with me, but with the whole world. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to kind of fill that picture out a little bit more fully. Because the problem with this is that the Bible has more to it than just that. I'll give you an example like this. Um, You know, when you're in third grade, you learn about the weather And you kind of learn that sometimes it rains, sometimes it doesn't rain. And you learn to keep track of cloudy days and sunny days. And in Michigan, they're almost all cloudy days, so it's really, really easy unit. But then you grow up and you start to learn that, that sure, there's there's sunny days and there's rainy days and, and cloudy days and everything in between. But there's also so much more to it than that. There's so much more full picture than just that. And you start to learn the science of precipitation, evaporation, weather patterns. And, 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 it, and it's not that that wasn't true, what you learned in third grade. It's just, that, it's just that there's so much else. There's so much more depth to it. The story behind it is so much more captivating and compelling than just that. And a lot of us, what we did when it comes to this is we kind of learned this because it's a simple idea and a simple concept that we can teach to kids. And we just kind of leave it at that And we forget to uncover some of the depth and richness that's beyond that. So we're going to do that today, and we're going to open our Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Because this is a really, really great place to go in Mark, chapter 1, because we see the beginning of this good news gospel thing that Jesus has for us. In Mark 1, verse 1, we see that the beginning 
of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we're like, okay, this is the good news, and he's going to fill this thing out a paragraph later, like the whole book is going to be done. But that's not what happens in Mark chapter 1. What happens is that he goes on, and he starts quoting from Isaiah. And he starts quoting a passage about prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. And every mountain is going to be made low, and every valley is going to be filled in. And I'm like, wait a second. That has nothing to do with, like, all of this stuff. I thought we were talking about the gospel. Like, Mark, when are you going to get to this? And it's clear from the get-go that Jesus, that Mark is casting Jesus as stepping into like this already rushing river of the story that existed and was being told long before Jesus' earthly ministry and will continue on long after Jesus' earthly ministry, after he ascended to heaven, after his death and resurrection. And so let's go and hear some of that. Verse 14 now, again from Mark chapter 1. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Did you hear that? The kingdom of God is coming near. Jesus said the time has come. The problem with this And I got a couple of problems with it. The first problem is that Jesus talked about heaven or talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, not as if it's something then and there. In fact, almost all the time when Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about it as if it was right here around us, in front of us all the time. The problem, the other problem that I have with this is that this is a very much me-centered story. It's all about me. And I think that the story that God is telling from literally the beginning of time till the end is more to do than just me or just you. And so we fill that picture out and say, look, listen, as Jesus is stepping into an already rushing river of this story that goes a long time before his earthly ministry, what Jesus knows he's stepping into and, and fulfilling is a story that starts off in the beginning of creation. Like Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God creates the world. And as he creates the world, he created the heavens and the earth. And you get the sense from reading Genesis 1 and 2, like there wasn't such a gap there between heaven and earth. You almost get the sense like, well, they're one and the same. Because God himself would walk and talk and commune with Adam and Eve, with people in the Garden of Eden on earth. It was like heaven and earth were one. Now, astute readers of the Bible, such as ourselves, know that something went wrong. In fact, we all know, even if you've never picked up a Bible before, you know something went wrong. And so what happened is we look at it in Genesis 3 that sin was introduced into the world. The people started rebelling. The people started pulling away from God. And this this split happened between heaven and earth. The split happened between God and humanity. And suddenly heaven looked like it was over here. And earth overlapped but was mostly separate from. 
And so over here, uh, biblical authors talk about this, and they call it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They, they call this uh, eternity or the eternal. Over here, Paul sometimes writes about it, and he says uh, this present age or the age of sin and death. Sometimes over here, it's just called earth. And the way the story of the Bible goes, the arc of the Bible goes, is there is this, this middle part where heaven and earth, they, they tend to overlap and they tend to conflict. By the way, this graph that I'm going to draw for you comes from Dr. Uh, Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. He's some helpful information here. They overlap at times. In the Old Testament in particular, this is where our, our like temple theology, temple stuff comes from. The book of second half of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus happens like around some of these practices. Where God says, I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you. I'm still at work here. I still have a project going on. I won't let you out of my deep love. I won't let you pull away from me completely. I will pull you back in. I love you that much. And so he creates this tabernacle or temple system where once a year a priest goes in, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he cleans himself up through all these ceremonies and rituals. He makes a sacrifice for himself and on behalf of all of the people there. And, they, and they're declared good. They can be in the presence of God just that one time with that one person on behalf of everybody, and then immediately the process starts over again. As we start to see this picture develop and it's ingrained in the people, we see that what's needed is a greater sacrifice, a deeper sacrifice than that. What's needed is a once and for all eternal kind of sacrifice. And his name is Jesus. And we'll come back to that for just a moment. But Jesus starts this rebellion against the rebellion, starts this mission to reclaim what was lost and to pull it back into completeness and to pull it back into goodness with his heavenly father. And we can start to get a picture reading on into the rest of the Bible because we have not only in Genesis the beginning, we have the whole middle where we're living, and God, by his grace, he, he, grace, he also gives us the ending. And he kind of pulls back the curtain and says, this is, this is how the story wraps up. This is how the story ends. And he gives us this picture of heaven and earth now as one, as the new Jerusalem comes out of the sky and fills earth. And they're back together again. There's wholeness and there's completeness. But again, the picture isn't about us escaping and running away. The picture is about God pulling us near. The picture is about God himself meeting us, coming to us, building his kingdom here. Revelation 21, verse 2. John shows us the picture, and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. It's a compelling picture. 
of Jesus once and for all, establishing his kingdom. But what happens to the death? What happens to the mourning? What happens to the sin? And what happens to the evil? God gives us a picture of that too in Revelation. Because something has to happen to all the harm in this world that Jesus is about to expel. And Revelation teaches us that once and for all, that's being cast out. That it goes outside the city to the city of God, which is this new garden city. It's full of life and it's full of hope. It's full of the presence of God. But Revelation also teaches us that there's a place outside of the city that's darkness, that's hopeless, that's eternally isolated from the rest to protect it, to protect that good creation. Now, Jesus on his rescue mission, and this is the important, most important part for us today, Jesus on this rescue mission to reclaim what was hurt and reclaim what was lost and reclaim what was infected by the cancer of sin, He has the unenviable task of finding it, identifying it, rooting it out, and expelling it wherever it is. And this is the hard part of it, church. Because most of us, we think this is rather simple. You find the bad people and you cast them out. You find the hurt and you throw them out. You find the offenders and you lock them up for all eternity. True. But what if the offender and what if the hurt and what if the sin is inside of each one of us? You see, what Jesus came to establish and to identify that that sin is inside of us. And we want it to be so simple as just to throw away and excommunicate all of those who who are below the line. And Jesus says, this is how much, church, this is how much I care about about sin and evil and the stuff that will not belong in my holy new garden city. This is how much I care. Most of us, political demonstration, let's say, is happening. And somebody comes up and he sees what's going on with the demonstrators and he's so riled up and he's so infuriated at, what, at what's happening out in front of him that he goes, he finds a weapon, he goes back to the demonstrators He attacks and kills one of them. And all of us, no matter what, all of us look at that atrocity and we're going, it wasn't right. It's murder and it's not okay. It does not belong in the new kingdom that Jesus came to establish. But this is how much Jesus cares about sin that's inside of all of us. He says, yes, murder is wrong. One of the the big ten, one of the top ten commandments, murder is wrong. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, and I tell, you've heard it said murder is wrong in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you that even the place where murder comes from, anger, anyone who is angry at his brother is in danger of the fire of hell. Because the place where that murder comes from, that anger is inside of us too. You think just the murder is bad. And Jesus says, I'm after the anger, the unrighteous anger too. Sometimes we, we see news articles scroll through, scroll by, and we see how this like wound of racism just keeps getting like opened again and again, and, and, and it, never, it never heals. 
And Jesus says, yes, we want to expel all those, those actions and those, those tragedies, and we want to just be done with it. But it's so much more complicated than all of that because there's this sin of where that comes from called pride. And Jesus came, Jesus said, I came to expel that, but also the, the, the sin of, of where all that stuff comes from. And it would be so easy if it was just some over here and some over here. And Jesus said, we're attacking this thing, not like an armed soldier in a jungle overseas. We're attacking this thing like a skilled surgeon carving out the cancer of sin one cell at a time. And it exists inside of us. And so the narrative in the story isn't just at one point you're going to die and God will be the judge, although true. But along the way, there's an invitation to join him. Would you join the great surgeon, this physician, in rooting out sin, identifying it, and expelling it, starting with ourselves, but not ending there. Join Jesus on this mission to expel evil and expel sin and expel harm today. I love what Dallas Willard said about this. He said that the gospel is less about how to get into heaven after you die than how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. That's why Jesus spent so long talking, not just about what happens after you die, but how to live today. What you decide today matters. What you choose today matters. Your decision to partner with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, matters not only when you die, but all along the way while you live. It's a compelling story. And you know what? your neighbors and your coworkers, the people that you talk to, that's something that they can get behind too. That's something that the whole world can get behind and say, yes, I might not even believe in Jesus, but I'm so glad that I met one of his followers today. That is a compelling mission. You know, it's such a compelling mission that every day when I drop my kids off at school, I tell them three things. I tell them to work hard and have fun. I tell them to, to be a friend and make a friend. And the last thing that I tell them when they get out of the car is make sure to bring heaven down to earth. Because what we do today matters for all eternity. It's an invitation. And that story is so much more compelling than a taco or hot yoga. You and I, we get to be part of the greatest story ever told. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, by your mercy, you have not let this world go. You hold on to it. You love it. Jesus, you've even sacrificed your life for it. And yes, Jesus, you taught us about life and death and everlasting. You taught us that there's a place called heaven that you're building more and more every day. There's a place called hell that if we choose to, we'll be outside of your presence forever on into eternity. And those evils and that sin will just grow. 
God, you've invited us into this compelling story. May we accept your invitation today. May we identify places to water and to cultivate and to nourish your kingdom here on earth. Jesus, it's in your name. We pray. Amen.